this series in 1 Corinthians today. Um, and we've been doing this for the last three months. If you are new with us this morning, don't worry. It's not like um, EastEnders or Corey where you miss an episode and you, suddenly someone's dead and you don't know what's happened or anything like that. Um, and if you do want to catch up, all the talks are online so you can go back and find out about them. Um, a couple of weeks back we were in chapter 9 at the very start, um, verses 1 through to 19. And we were hearing a bit about Paul um, and his letter to the Corinthians, just talking about his rights as an apostle and how he has to lay down some of the stuff of his own heart so that the gospel can be preached and how he has to be willing to hold it lightly and how he was challenging us to do the same. And this week we're moving on into the second part of chapter 2 and if you were to give this part of the chapter a title I would say it's like Paul's advice on being a champion of the faith. It's like Paul's top tips on what makes a great champion of the faith and so that's what we're going to be reading through today. We're going to be looking at that and basically he's sharing this um, with us like the keys to this race that we're running with Jesus. Like what are the keys to finishing it well, to running it, to win and not just taking part. And so we're going to be looking at that today. Um, So we're at chapter 9 and we're starting at verse 19. It says this. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. Very straightforward, that sentence there. (laughs) To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you know that in a race all runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And Paul is given this advice to the Corinthian church because he is absolutely desperate for them not to be a church that comes together, meets on a Sunday morning, packs their gear up back into the van or the car or whatever it was they used in those days to get their stuff around and then heads off and forgets about him, forgets about Jesus until the next week again. He is desperate for them to be a people who are committed to running the race of faith well, to people who are not just wanting to take part but who want to win for Jesus, to win people back to him, to win hearts back from that point of almost destruction to the place of freedom and forgiveness and grace and love that Jesus has promised us. That is why he is sharing these tips and these advice on being champions of the faith with the church in Corinthians. And so um, what he's trying to do is instill in this church that kind of attitude of don't just take part, don't just come on a Sunday and sit idly by Don't hide in the shadows, but play to win. Run this race with everything that you have. I love, there's a quote by a guy called Hunter S. Thompson, and he he sort of says this, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he's like, I don't want to quietly wander into heaven, but I want to arrive side on, screeching in, burnt out with absolutely nothing left to give. I want to arrive like that. 
And that's what Paul's saying here. He's challenging us to be champions of the faith and not just people who take part in the race. And he's got three kind of keys about what champions are. And the first key is this. Champions are known by the people. At the very start of this passage, Paul explains a bit to the Corinthians his approach in sharing the gospel. And they probably think it was a bit weird. He's saying, for the Jews, I became like a Jew. For those under the law, I became like one under the law. For those not under the law, I became one like not under the law. For those who were weak, I became weak. And I did this so that all these people could hear about Jesus. And some of them might make the decision to follow him. And the key in that is that he wants all people to hear about Jesus because the gospel, the good news, this message of hope that we have that Jesus died on a cross to set us free has to be accessible for the world. It's not just for us. It has to be accessible to anyone who wants to know about it. Um, I have worked in sales for many years um, before I became a pastor um, and in sales you get to know people quite quickly and you can quite quickly suss out who's going to do a good job of sales and who's going to do a terrible job of sales um, and basically um, you, you get to know that, you get a kind of sixth sense for it and a new guy joined our company and within the first week we'd heard him shouting on the phone at customers on three separate occasions so we were all like this is not looking good for this guy. He doesn't look like he's going to go well. The manager who pulled him in said, that's not really how we do things. Like, we're supposed to have a discussion and like, lay out this incredible pitch and sell a dream to them, like shouting at them and telling them they need it isn't the way to do it. So he was like, okay, I get it. So the next day, we hear him having an absolute barnstormer of a row with a customer on the phone. He's shouting and screaming and he gets taken into the manager's office again and told, you can't do this, you can't do this. And he's like, okay, fair dues. And so... Um, we, we all break off for lunch and he comes in the next morning the very next morning he's like you'll never guess what I did last night I phoned that customer back and I gave him a pure abuse down the phone but what he hadn't done he thought he'd withheld his number on his phone and he hadn't withheld his mobile phone number so the customer phoned back assuming it was him and said hello do you have anyone at your company who has the mobile phone number blah 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 they checked it against his personal records all flagged up and uh, he was later escorted from the premises by two very angry looking managers but the point was this his information was accessible if somebody had a reason to ask for it you know, he'd left it, he'd forgot to withhold his phone number. And so they had a reason to ask, is this his phone number? And with the gospel, it has to be accessible to anyone who has a reason to ask for it. Anyone who says, I want to know about this. Anyone who says, tell me about Jesus. Anyone who says, I'm lost and I want to know what the point in life is. The information of the gospel has to be accessible to them. And guess what? We are God's plan for making the information of the gospel accessible to the world. Not anyone else, but us. The responsibility falls with us. And that's an incredible privilege, but it's also very, very scary. I've just booted over a cup of water on some wires here. That's good. Somebody make sure nobody gets electrocuted. Um, And it falls with us, doesn't it? It's our responsibility to share the good news of the gospel. And that's a big thing, isn't it? That feels quite scary. That feels like something that is like... um, a big task and so I looked in the Bible and I thought is there any way that this couldn't be about us like maybe this is just an apostle thing like maybe this is just Paul so I had a wee scour through the Bible I was like I can surely find a wee verse somewhere here that says just the apostles have to go out and share this good news everyone else can just watch and cheer them on from the sidelines but unfortunately in the very next chapter 
Paul says this in chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all in the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, the church, uh, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And then he says this, and this is the killer. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is us It's nobody else. It's not the super apostles. You know, it's not the people who we look at and we think they're super brilliant. You know, the people who can walk up to someone in the street and convert them to Jesus like that. And you're like, how do you do that? Like, it's not those guys. Like, we are all called to share the gospel together. But how do we do that then? How do we as a church communicate the good news of Jesus coming and dying for our sins and setting us free into grace to the world? How do we do that? Well, the Bible makes it really clear. That it's all about love. We have to love people well. We have to love one another well. We have to demonstrate what unconditional love looks like to the world. Even in a tiny little part. In those tiny moments where we manage to selflessly give ourselves to someone else. That is the moment where people see God and see heaven. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, Dear friends, since God so loved the world, eh, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another you see it's all about loving people well and in those moments that we love we demonstrate what God's love is all about in those moments where we're willing to set down our own stuff so that somebody else can benefit people see the kingdom of God in those moments where we go without so that someone else can have people can see God's love for us we have to love well And you see, those are the moments that open up incredible chances to share the gospel because people want to know what on earth you are doing. You know, when you give your time selflessly, people will ask the question, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What is the point in you doing this? And in those moments, we get that incredible privilege and that chance to say to them, I'm just trying to show you that God loves you because I know that he loves me and I want as many people to know how he loves them as much as I do. I just think that's brilliant. It's not complicated. We don't have to be eloquent. We don't have to be well-versed in the Oxford English Dictionary to tell people about Jesus. We just have to love them well. And we're all capable of that. We're all capable of that. The sad thing about it, though, is that not everyone's going to accept this good news. You know, Paul's really clear about that. He says um, in verse 22, To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Not everyone's going to accept it. But the thing there that we see is that Paul becomes all things to all people. He doesn't choose who are the some. He makes the gospel available to everyone and then people get to decide for themselves. And that's our role. We don't choose who should or who shouldn't get to know Jesus. We have to let as many people know as we can. And then they have that decision to make for themselves. So we have to love people well. So a champion is known by everyone. We have to make the gospel known to everyone. The second thing that a champion is, is a champion is prepared for the challenge. 
That's so true, isn't it? I don't think there's ever been a sports person in the history of sport who's rocked up to a qualifying event, say for a 100-metre sprint, who's rocked up to the regional qualifiers having done no training and bossed it and beat everyone in it. And they've then went to the nationals and they've beaten everyone there and they're still like, I've not done anything. And then they go to the Olympics and they beat Usain Bolt in the 100 metres final and they're interviewed afterwards and they say, so tell us, how did you prepare for this? Is it well... Last week I watched Jeremy Kyle three times and I've been on a strict diet of super noodles and profiteroles for the last three months and um, I walk to the shops twice a day. You know, it's never happened and it never will happen, will it? Because you have to be prepared. If you want to be a winner and a champion, then you have to be prepared. I love this quote um, from a woman called Shannon Coates. Um, she's a two-time Ironman World Championship qualifier and she has never not podium finished in an Ironman that she's taken part in or Iron Woman. Quote says Iron Man here, I'm going to go with Iron Man. Uh, She was asked this, what is the single most important element to you performing at your best on race day? And she said this, the most important thing is consistent preparation. The thing about racing an Ironman successfully is that a proper build-up takes months and consistency is key. The early stages of training takes months of building an endurance foundation. Then power and speed can be successfully worked on and finally come race day you're ready to fly. If I am inconsistent at any phase in my training, it leaves the possibility of injury or burnout. Champions prepare well, is what Paul's saying here. You know, if we want to be people who go into this world and share Jesus with the world, we've got to be prepared and we've got to be disciplined in our preparations. We have to be self-disciplined. He says this, In verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Champions are prepared. Um, Hands up if you've ever been in a situation where you were completely unprepared for what was about to happen to you. You were standing there and you were like, nope, this is going to go badly. Less than I expected, some very organised people here. Um, I went to South Africa um, in 2007 on on a bit of a mission trip. Um, And as we were preparing as a team to go out, our team leader said to us, um, you have to prepare a sermon for when you go out because you'll probably get asked to speak in a church. Now, I was just new to Christianity at this point, and I just thought you had to be a qualified minister to speak in a church. So I was like, ha ha, that's a good joke. Um, And then forgot about it. totally forgot about it um, roll on the first Sunday that we're in South Africa we're on top of this mountain in the back end of nowhere and a tent with 500 people in it um, the pastor comes out and he's like ah the team from Scotland looks me dead in the eye and says you will give the sermon today brother and then just walked off and I was like oh goodness what did I do so thankfully, thankfully I'd read my Bible that morning, which isn't always the case. So I'd read my Bible that morning and I'd been reading Acts chapter 1. And it was all about the Holy Spirit coming for the first time and invading the world. So I was like, I'm just going to speak on that and I'll just have to see what happens. Now, the saving grace of the whole thing was that there was an interpreter. So I had five seconds between each sentence to think about what the next sentence was going to be. So I stumbled through half an hour's worth of some chat around Acts chapter 1, feeling completely out of my death, completely nervous the whole way through it and got to the end of it. And then he made me do a dance at the end. I'm not sure why we did the dance at the end, but we we did this dance at the end. I don't know why. Um, And God did some stuff, but I wish that I'd been more prepared. 
You know, I wish that I'd had something really brilliant to bring in that moment. You know, because I am not sure that what I stood up and talked about that day was what God was actually wanting to do that day. I hadn't prepared for it. I wasn't ready for that moment. And that's the challenge Paul has given us here. He's given us this challenge. When someone asks you about your faith, when somebody says to you, why do you believe in Jesus? When somebody says to you, what is this Christianity thing all about? Are we prepared? Are we ready? Do we know what God wants to say to that person? That's the challenge he's given us. He wants us to be completely certain about the hope of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, he doesn't want us standing up in front of people uncertain about what we think, or what, we, what we're going to say, what our reason for our hope is. He wants us to be disciplined in our preparation and assured of the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and God's word alive in our lives. So we need to be doing a few things, don't we, to prepare. And the first thing is this, we need to be in his word. You know, God's word is alive today. It's a Holy Spirit-breathed book. It's not just pages and letters and numbers. It is God speaking to us today. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, All scripture is breathed out by God. And pro- what? That's just an amazing picture, isn't it? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproach, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, if we want to be prepared for this race, we need to be disciplined in reading the word. We need to be in about it because it is alive and speaking to us today. And we don't do it because we feel like we should do it. That's not the reason to do it. We do it because we want to do it. We want to know God's word. We want to know what he's saying to us and what he might be saying to people around us. It's not a legalistic thing. It's a heart thing. And we also need to be in prayer as well, don't we? We need to be in prayer with God as a habit, not as an occasional visit. Because in those moments, we get to go to God with the things that we're struggling with, that we're carrying, the people that we would love to know Him. We get to go to Him with our requests and our petitions for the people that we want to come to know Him. But also in those times, we get to sit in silence and listen to what He is saying to us and what He might be saying for people round about us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, it says this, and this is brilliant. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And then there's two verses here, 16 and 17, that say this. Rejoice always is one verse. And then pray without ceasing is a verse on its own. Just three words. Pray without ceasing. Prayer isn't meant to be something that you do once a day. It's not meant to be something that you think, oh, I've not prayed in a couple of days. Prayer is constant communication between you and God. It's inviting them into every circumstance in your life. You know, when you are thinking about which car
car should I buy? God's in that decision. When you're thinking about where do I move house, God's in that decision. When you're thinking about should I um, go and spend a lunchtime with this person who I've not seen in ages, God's in amongst that. He's in about everything. We have to invite him into our whole lives and not just the little parts that we feel that we want to. Prayer is a constant thing. It's not a one-off event. And then the final thing is this, to be prepared as as a champion, to be prepared well. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 says this, But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And do this with gentleness and respect. And I think that's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? Like, are you prepared to share the reason for the hope in your heart? You know, if somebody stopped you on the do- at the door on the way out just now and said, oh, I see you've come from church this morning. Can you just tell me why you're a Christian? Are you ready for that moment? Are you ready to share the testimony, the stories of God's goodness and Jesus' hope and love in your life? I think that's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? So we need to be prepared to share the hope in our hearts. So champions are known by the people. Champions are prepared and disciplined in their preparation. And the final thing that Paul says here, champions are focused on what's ahead. Paul finishes up with this one final bit of advice to run the race to win. And he's saying this, don't look at what's going on round about you to the sides. Don't look at who's here and who's there. Don't look behind you at what has happened, but fix your eyes on Jesus and run 100% towards him and keep your eyes fixed on him. He says this, Therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air, but no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. I think that's such a brilliant image, isn't it? Like that idea of just a runner. You know, can you imagine the Olympics? Just a runner running the wrong way around the track because they're, they they're not looking where they're going. They're just heading off into the javelin and dodging a hammer and the, the bit in the middle. Or, or a boxer who comes out and rather than looking at his opponent, he just decides, I'm just going to close my eyes and swing punches and hope for the best here, you know? Just see him windmilling around <laughs> the ring, hoping for what's best. You know, it would never happen. And I think there's two things that come out of that image for me that are this, that when we aren't focused on where we're going with Jesus, two things happen. One, we get easily lost. And two, we get tired and burnt out really quickly. I read an article in the journal Motivation and Emotion this week. um, And it was all about running. Google's a wonderful thing, isn't it? (laughs) I don't know what people did for sermon illustrations before Google. It's tremendous. And there was a study published there that said this, that focusing on a point in the distance, like a building or a tree, can cause distance run, distances to appear shorter. And this in turn encourages distance runners to move more quickly and reduces the feeling of exertion. Isn't that amazing? Paul was, you know, giving out some great advice 2,000 years before it was scientifically proven. I watched an amazing program uh, on Channel 4 this week. Other channels are available, obviously. But Channel 4 this week called Hunted. Did anyone watch it? So good, honestly. Like, if you've not watched it, go and watch it. Basically, the premise of this new show by Channel 4 is that they have... Pardon? 
Okay. Um, basically, the premise of this uh, new programme is that they have selected 14 applicants who applied for this show, and on any given morning, they can rock up to their house and say, you are hunted, you've got an hour to get your stuff, go. And then, basically, the people tracking them are like ex-CIA agents and like data analysts for the government. They've got all this like software and stuff, so they can access like their bank transactions or their vehicle registration plates, and they've got to try and be on the run for 28 days. It's amazing, honestly. You need to go and see it. Um, and there's one, um, there's two girls who are a team in it, and they're trying to get away, and they're doing such a good job of getting away. They've been hitchhiking, so they've got no idea where they are. But one of the girls has a young son, um, and at a caravan park in the middle of the Lake District, she phones back home and says, how's he doing? And instantly, all these alarms and stuff go off, and the team are on them within about 10 minutes, and they're like swooping down on this caravan park. And the point was this, for her... She needed to be able to leave the past behind for 28 days if she wanted to be successful. You know, she needed to be able to not look back. She had to have her eyes focused on what was ahead of us because anything else was going to allow this team to come and catch her. And that's a little bit like what Paul is saying here. He's saying when we look back, when we focus on what has been and what could have been and where we have been, it causes us to stumble and fall. And equally, when we look from side to side, you know, when we look at the people around us and we see Joe Holy over here, who looks like his whole life is going brilliantly, and uh, Mary, I don't know, worship <laughs> over here, who looks, who looks like just well-known Bible characters there, Joe Holy and Mary Worship. You'll find them in some gospel of greatness or something, I don't know. Anyway, when we compare ourselves to people around about us, you know, when we look around, it can cause us to get taken off track ourselves and lose our own momentum. You know, you ask Usain Bolt where his eyes are during a 100-meter race, and they are constantly ahead, focused on the finish line, and he does not move his head until he gets there. Because when you start looking around, you veer off track. When you look behind you, it's dead easy to stumble and fall, isn't it? And he's saying, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on what is ahead. And you know, for some of us here this morning, we are sitting here and terrible things have happened in our past. People have spoke horrible words over us and people have done terrible things in our lives. And what I don't think Paul is saying here is just forget about it, you know, just bury it deep down, forget it's there and just run away from it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying take it to God and let him deal with it. But when he's dealt with it, it is dealt with. You don't have to go back. You don't have to revisit. You don't have to dig it up time and time again. When God deals with our hurt and our pain and our shame, he deals with it. And we don't have to keep looking back over our shoulders wondering when it's going to creep up on us again. You know, in Matthew chapter 11... Verse 28, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then again in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Paul says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, the enemy loves it when we take our eyes off Jesus. That's perfect for him. When we're not focused on Jesus and running towards him, he loves it because it's dead easy for us to trip up and stumble and fall and get discouraged when we look around, isn't it? It's so easy. We've all been there. And that's why Paul is encouraging us to be focused on what is to come. To fix our eyes on Jesus and run towards him and keep our eyes on him. Running forward, longing to leap into an eternal life with him. And actually, our mission is to run as fast as we can and gather as many people to leap into eternal life with us, isn't it? In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, verse 10 to 15, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love that picture of Paul, just straining with all that he is to run forwards and to bring as many people with him as he can into a relationship with Jesus and not looking back. And I really feel this morning that God wants to do some stuff with us about our pasts and about helping us not to look back at them. So we're just going to stand just now. Um, let's all stand together. We're just going to take some time.